Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 81st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always willing to bend the knee to a successful spec. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody, and the first thing I want to say, James, can we please not use that term <laughs> I knew phrase? it, I knew it. I, I did not notice that you had written that until I looked, <laughs> until you had already said it. I, you know, it's just, it's such like a power trip thing, and it's completely unnecessary, and uh, just, God, using that just makes you just such an asshole. Um, Here's the thing, though. Um, I think it's productive for the community to be able to engage in debate, Uh in in front of listeners and and followers and so forth and do so productively you know without getting personal um being as polite as we can manage while we're like one-handing our phones and in between like meetings and whatever and at the end of that process if you know one side or the other of the debate um you know has relevant data to share that you know proves a point I'm happy to bend the knee to that data. Now, now, if it's a singular data point, I'm not bending too low. <laughs> listen, listen. I have no but, problem. I have no problem saying, hey, you know what? You were right. I was wrong. You got it correct. Like, good job. Like, that's totally fine. Zero problems with that. I think that that's a good idea. I just don't like that particular turn of phrase. It is very subservient, and it just makes me uncomfortable. If you said, <laughs> hey, you said, I said this wouldn't work. You said it did. You were right congratulations, you got me, or that was a good one, or, I, you know, I wouldn't say I doth my cap to you, because that's so, so, so raw as well, but... So you're saying you're a top. <sighs> Our show is so sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. So before you tell me about the four segments this week, tell me about this movie you saw last night. Uh, the uh, The Doctor Who... Rift Tracks. So Rift Tracks, for anyone who's unfamiliar, is um, by the guys who did Mystery Science Theater 3000. So you go and see a movie and basically professional comedians make jokes over the top of the movie the whole time you're listening. So it's usually quite good. Um, the Rift Tracks are uh, they do live shows in theater um, every couple months. So like you go to your theater and you watch and like people all over the country are watching the same live performance as you are. So it's a really cool experience. Well, last night they did The Five Doctors, which I thought I knew it was Doctor Who. I thought it was some like um, third party, like non-canon, non-official Doctor Who movie that had been made, kind of like how there's one or two um, James Bond movies that aren't really uh, canon. No, it turns out it is absolutely like an official like 20th anniversary movie. And it's all the and it's like five quote unquote doctors uh, show up for this whole uh, extravaganza. And I was blown away that people watch this and go, yep, 
This is good. Not only is this good, this show can support six decades of episodes. I'm just like aghast at how campy it is. And like Star Trek The Next Generation was campy, right? But like it was watchable. It was fun. And like, but at least it kind of was was reasonable. I mean, Doctor Who was just like the characters are having a, a whispering conversation next to you know. Oh, we don't. This guy doesn't know we're going to screw him, and you can still see the dude in the frame, like four feet away. And you look at the reviews from like the mid '90s, and they're talking about how good it was. And I'm just like, am, am I in another universe? What movie are these people watching? If you have Doctor <laughs> Who, you've brain rot. Yeah, there's no. Sorry, accounting. did you? There's, there's I don't no. Know if you wanted a five minute. there's no accounting for taste sometimes (laughs) um that's for sure um i I likewise had a surreal experience because i spent most of the day shift gears hard here uh at work uh working on a advertising marketing uh, and strategy campaign for a medical marijuana company that's uh publicly traded up here um that's fully legit um and has football field size operations full of you know grow ops that are super um they're regulated hard, but they are utterly legal, and they're planning on shifting into retail operations a la Colorado um, in the near future when our government gets around to fully legalizing pot. And it was just a really weird day to be working on that campaign out in the open, having like the normal marketing type discussions about pot, while there are literally millions of people rotting in U.S. prisons for minor pot offenses <laughs> under three strikes legislation and so forth. Yeah, uh, definitely a bummer for those people. Yeah, I mean, more than a bummer. It's just, it's just pretty crazy. The like, the fact that some of us are sitting around just, you know, going at this the way we would any other project, and meanwhile, other people are are probably still in many states, uh, you know, being put in jail day after day after day. It's crazy. Yeah, well, you know, anyone who follows me on Twitter is not unaware of my political stances, and it is uh, essentially on par with war crimes, uh, America's criminalization policies with pot, but I don't think that's what our listeners tuned in yeah, for. Yeah, we, we haven't even gotten to our segments yet. We've already offended like two-thirds of the audience by insulting Doctor Who and then revealing ourselves as, as uber-liberals. Yeah, all right. Well, now for the six of you that are still listening, uh, this <laughs> week we have four segments to our show. Segment one is our top movers. Um, quite a lengthy list this week. I don't know what's going on. Algorithm problems or real cards, but maybe both. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I are going to run through some of the cards that we have our eyes on as uh, potential price gainers. Segment three is our metagame we can review. Last week was a modern bonanza with Richmond, uh, Birmingham, and Sao Paulo. So we'll touch on that. And segment four, uh, we have a couple things I think we're going to touch on. Maybe some commander, some additional conversation around uh, some of the cards that spiked this week. Um, so let's just jump right in on segment one, our top movers. First card of the week is Blade of the Sixth Sixth pride the uh this is a full art future site card it was one of their um the cycle of common creatures it was done in full art it's a like a two mana three one art's pretty cool the creature's completely unimpressive but the foils got kind of bought out jumped from 250 to five dollars uh the only thing i can fathom is it it is a a full hour full art creature in the future site border of which there are i believe five uh it is b foil and c a cat which means it People who play in cat decks might want it because it looks cool. So it seems a bit of a stretch to me, but I don't know. Maybe maybe you'll flip a couple. This is the stuff that Jason Alt was telling people to not go out and buy, right? Like the, yeah. the, the the random cards that are on Tribe but have 
are not even close to the power or synergy level that is required to to fill out those decks. I mean, there are there are probably you know you'd almost rather have a chameleon colossus in a deck than a blade of the six pride. Um, still counts as a cat and has more relevant abilities. The I have a whole stack of cats like this that make that are just vanilla like limited creatures in foil that I pulled out of binders that I'm going to send out um, when I do a little cat contest in the next week or so. And it's just, I'll see if I have a blade of the six pride lying around to add to the pile. Yeah. You know, I don't, this would clearly be aimed at, you know, the ultra casual EDH players who are building cat decks. Um, You know, nobody that truly plays commander is going to pick up this card, but you know, to some defense that might be uh, a healthy part of the population. You know, there might be enough people, super casuals building cat decks that want to play this because it looks cool and don't really care beyond that. So that's possible. Uh, qu- questionable, but not necessarily a complete mess. And, and keep in mind that like, I don't know about you, but I get like av- on average one to three listeners a day pitching me on their spec ideas via direct message on Twitter. And they run the gambit from excellent ideas that get light a fire under my ass to shit that makes absolutely no sense. And this is somewhere <laughs> like not a zero out of 10, but it's down there like a two or a three, right? Um, I, could, I could not be happier to tell you that that happens rarely to me <laughs> or like yeah. a couple times a week at most. And and not <laughs> and the thing is that like I definitely want to drive home over and over again that originality is not valuable in in finance in general and certainly not in MTG finance. The best idea is still the best idea. Or if you're not exactly sure which one's the best, the top 10 are still the top 10. Um, you don't need to be coming up with your own ideas um, if the other ones aren't played out yet. But, you know, say levy. Yeah. Uh, so what's next for us? So the next one is uh, one I actually moved in on this week. Uh, Steely Resolve from Onslaught. Uh, is the one in a green enchantment that gives uh, a certain tribe shroud. The thing is, it gives it shroud, not hexproof, um, which ge- generates pros and cons. Um, card moved from $5 to $10 in theory. Um, there was no reprint in C17 because Wizards doesn't print shroud cards anymore, which generally protects this card from being printed almost anywhere. Um, and here's the thing. Shroud means that nobody can target your creatures with targeted removal, but a lot of the things that get that injure creature decks the most in EDH are actually sweepers, and this doesn't really help you there. Um, and the other thing is that, it, like, for instance, in the green-white cats deck, you're not going to want this card because it prevents you from putting equipment on creatures because you can't target them. Okay. So yeah, it... <laughs> on, on the balance, there, there have never been very many EDH decks registered on EDH.rec for this card. Um, so, but it's almost impossible that it's going to get reprinted. So, you know, this is one of these cases that like some of the sketchy reserve list cards that are getting bought out, I'm comfortable holding, you know, a small handful of these and petering them out over time on the assumption that demand will probably exceed supply. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's one of those cards. I really like these, and I've got a couple of them stashed away for myself because I've kind of been waiting for a while for them. Um, I can definitely see why it 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 does kind of have its obviously it's a double edged sword with the shroud. I think that that's still fine for the most part for most tribal decks, especially because they're going to tend to be a little more about attacking and less about being tricky. Um, but yeah, going to be tough to reprint for the most part. Uh, so. I and I know a couple other people have had their eyes on this for a long time, so I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't done. Actually, 
And the inventory levels didn't go from like 200 copies to bought out. This has been a long, slow, steady drain over time because the card hasn't been reprinted in forever. So that indicates that there is some that that demand has slightly exceeded supply for a long time. And that, you know, keep in mind that there are millions of players who are so uber casual that they don't even play ADH. They just play random decks they make at the kitchen table. And kitchen table magic, this card's pretty good. I mean, if you're if you're running a, a tribal-themed deck and you're running green, this shuts down a whole bunch of point removal in your opponent's hand. That's not a bad place to be. Yep, completely agree. Um, okay, so next card is Captain Sisse from Invasion. Kind of like the, both the non-foils and the foils. Uh, the non-foil price... Looks like it moved from 16 to 32. Um, there's also the FTV Legends prices that have moved as well. We talked about Captains to say a while ago this spiked because of the um, rumors that Planeswalkers are going to become Legends. Looks like people kind of went back to that well again. Um, you know, we haven't really seen anything sell really at the new price, but there's not a lot of inventory out there. So I think that this will probably probably manage to push it up from that 16 into like the low 20 range. But I don't know if it's really going to get too much higher. Well, I've moved a couple, um, but here's the thing. I think these are actually... uh, No, I moved... Well, I mean, I bought really low because I got like scandalously low prices locally, um, like under $6. Well, Um, okay. So I was moving moving just under 20, I think. Okay. Because I sold several in that range as well, but not at the $30 point. Yeah. And I think that... Here's the thing. Not everybody has clued in. Like only a fractional amount of the community is aware that Planeswalkers are about to become legendary. And that that directly impacts one of the most popular decks in EDH, namely Attracts the Planeswalkers. And that Sisse is almost certainly an auto-include there because you'll be able to search up your uh, legendary creatures and your Planeswalkers, which is just too good to not play. Um, At which point demand takes off and it's pretty unlikely that at the point where Ixalan's being released, there's any sign on the horizon that we're going to see Sisse again. Like, I suspect that card uh, could see... It's not reserve list, right? No. Yeah, so it could see a reprint in the 25th anniversary set in the spring, but that gives you several months to leverage like EDH demand before you have to worry about the reprint. Um, and if you've just got you know five to ten copies or something, I think you're going to get a, a nice little exit, especially if you got in a couple months ago and people started targeting it. Okay. Um, what's next for us? So next up is Dragon Arch Foils moving from 12 to 25. I can confirm this one's real. I've sold a couple close to 20. Um, that I got in a little under 10. Um, this is based on the fact that Dragon Arch lets you put in multicolored creatures for, I want to say, five mana on the tap and two to put it into play, if I'm not mistaken. Sounds about right. Something like that. The uh, So it basically lets you put in giant dragons that you can't otherwise afford um, out of your hand. And the foils are super old. They're from Apocalypse, which is ages ago, like 15 years. Um, so And they haven't reprinted this. Uh, in foil uh, i'm not even sure it's ever seen a reprint at all but certainly not in foil um so the, these foils are probably going to hold 25 to 35 i would think for some time um even if there's only a modicum of demand yeah i remember you and i talking about these a million years ago i don't even remember what card what product or card it was that kind of triggered the conversation but uh i've got a couple of them floating around too i think that these are starting to find their home a little bit um starting to find their place so i think uh i think these are probably pretty fairly firmly adjusted for the time being yeah i think i found an article from you from a couple of years back that triggered a me buying a few of them and then i bought some more this spring and mm-hmm. um, didn't move much in the interim between the the one buy and the, and the second but now now it seems set up to do fine 
Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Next on the list is another one I've been targeting. Supreme Verdict uh, foils moving from 11 to 23. This is the RTR version, but the promo version moved kind of in lockstep. Um, uh, I mentioned this a couple times last week. Uh, was it my pick last week? I think uh, so. Or it, it wasn't was, last week. It was recently. Yeah, it was last week. And then, you know, I bought some and people bought some. And that's not organic demand. But the demand was like the inventory was already so low. Like there was less than 20 copies when I when it first caught my eye. And the reason I was looking at it at all is because it's one of the top multicolor cards uh, uh, in all of EDH. Um, it's, you know, a, the sweeper of choice because it can't be countered. Um, and, you know, I was surprised to find that the inventory was as low as it was. So it wasn't very hard to grab, say, I, I think I got something like 12 or 14 copies total in about the same locally. Um, so half of it bought online in the U.S. and half of it acquired in Toronto. And, you know, nobody even batted an eye when I bought out the store here locally in Toronto because nobody thinks it's an important card. But the reality is that blue-white control and Jeskai control strategies have been on the upswing in modern lately. Modern's pretty wide open, so it's not like it's really going to move the needle. But if anybody... This is also a cube card. It's also an EDH card. There's demand in multiple different formats. And the card's probably safe from a reprint for a while. I would think it's probably going to be in something like Modern Masters 2019, where they're going <laughs> to they're gonna have trouble digging to the bottom of the barrel to find stuff to reprint from uh, Raffinga Block. For sure. Yeah. And I know that you and I had talked about the um the buy box promo a while ago i wrote about it and then you talked about it and this is probably kind of people looking at it and going well the buy box promos are just about dry but maybe i will chase the pack foils um so yeah i mean until we see a reprint there's no reason to expect these to really go down much uh okay next on our list is patriarchs bidding uh, this is good news for some of our listeners. I'm sure a couple of you got in on this one. Patriarchs bidding. Uh, in fact, naturally, now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure that we had Patriarchs bidding. Um, we talked about this as having jumped a co- several weeks ago when the tribal spoilers were announced and were like, stop buying Patriarchs bidding because it could get reprinted. Well, it didn't get reprinted. So congratulations to everyone who rolled that dice. Um, foils I were showing jumped from 30 to like 65. Non-foils have moved pretty considerably as well. Didn't show up in Commander 2017. A powerful tribal card. I don't think it's as good as people want it to be. Um, I mean, you're like, oh yeah, I get to cast it in my wizard deck and get back like my wizards and my opponents only get back like one or two creatures. But if they're getting back like sheldred or something that kills all of the other creatures on the table it's a slightly less impressive but in any case the prices have moved pretty considerably um they will probably pull back but not too far uh, right up until we see a new printing because this card only has like one printing um you know if this shows up in any random product which it kind of could uh i guess like stuff like dual decks are off the table because now the price is too high but it could be in either of the next two big sets um, then I would expect to see uh, the price on this come down pretty hard. Actually, now that I think about it, uh, Masters 25 is supposed to celebrate magic through the years. And during the onslaught time, uh, Black Red Goblins was really popular because you played goblins with Patriarchs bidding, I believe. Um, or bidding was somehow really big in standard if it wasn't goblins. So we could see it show up in Masters 25 next spring. I mean, it could also be an iconic Masters. Either of those, it could show up. But if they didn't sure. print it in the Commander product, I don't, I don't see it as a high priority for them. So it's a maybe there, but I don't think it's a lock. Um, and I think if people had really like, 
Jason all raised the flag on this way early and said, hey, don't don't go in until you know it's not in there. And then seemed upset that they didn't include it. Um, but if you really think about this card, like it actually makes sense that they didn't include it. It's too symmetrical if these four decks are all popped together at a kitchen table by four people and they're playing them against each other, right? Because everybody's bringing, everybody's playing tribal where this card does not shine. What you where you want what you want this is you're in a meta game against four control decks that have been hammering your hammering your creatures into the graveyard, and then somewhere in the mid game you find a opening where you can cast this. They get back almost nothing, and you get back everything. And then right. you presumably go off on some kind of aggro spree or some kind of combo on board. Um, so it didn't really fit in these sets once you knew that they were all tribal. Um, you know, the the main point for it being printed was just that the price is rising. But the, the card's not even essential in EDH because it's so metagame dependent. Like, if your EDH uh, metagame is a whole bunch of tribal decks, the card's not that good. And if your EDH deck is shifting every week, you might not include it because it could not be good. And there is a bunch of other sweepers or or graveyard spells that might be better. Like in some, many ways, <coughs> in the dragon deck, for instance, I'd rather have Palace Siege probably, uh, the one that can either drain my opponents or uh, bring a dragon back every every turn. Um, seems like a, a more powerful kind of grindy card in those kind of mid range tribal strategies. So anyway, uh, card could show up at some point, but. For now, there's very little supply, and everybody thought it was a spec. So there's a whole bunch of these in people's hands that are going to come rebound back into the market, and it's not something I'd want to be holding through the next two master sets, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're completely right about the symmetry thing. Um, I suspect there's a chance Wizards kind of knows that, and they're like, well, we won't put it here, but then in like three or six months, then we'll put more copies out in a product that where it's not going to feel as uh, as poorly balanced, essentially. Um you know, and they have, you know, several times in the past sort of like put out a product with a theme, not all the components are there. And then you see them show up kind of in a smattering over the following months because they kind of knew that they were going to dump them all at once. They're going to stretch it out. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Next on our list is Counterspell. I believe this is the first invocation we've talked about, but I could be wrong. Um, this is a Counterspell invocation, obviously from Amonkhet. Jumped from 50 to about 100. Again, not exactly sure how sticky that price is at this point. Um, this looks to me like people are kind of getting on the invocation train. They saw the expeditions go nowhere uh, and people kind of lose money on that. Then the inventions took everyone by surprise and worked out really well for a lot of people. And I think this is others going, hey, you know what? I want a piece of that pie. I want in on these cards uh, and I'm going to make it happen with the invocations. So um for what it's worth i think they'll probably be relatively successful uh again these are extremely limited release at this point we don't expect to see them again um you know if you if you've got the money to throw around you can definitely make make these move a little bit uh and it will take a very long time for the price to correct uh as it is so there's some interesting things going on here um you know we've got ed from from your other cast um telling me openly on twitter that he's buying as many as he can get his hands on um, other people <laughs> echoing their own their own targets. Uh, QS has been you know on this gravy train for a little while as well. Both Tarkin and uh, and uh, Chaz were both uh, you know batting back and forth with me about how good of a spec these are right now. The so I mean the end result of that is it 
all you really need is a bunch of us talking about it in public to get people looking up uh, inventory levels and going, hey, there's like less than 15 copies of that. Maybe I'll grab a couple. And, you know, if 10 or 20 listeners of various casts do that, then you can make the market move. Um, and the thing is that because the EV of Hour of Devastation and Amonkhet is so low, and because Standard has not been in the sweetest spot up until pretty recently, um, you know, there was probably less Amonkhet opened than otherwise might have been, and Hour of Devastation's in the slot uh, for the year that usually sells the least anyway. And so invocations are probably more rare than Kaladesh inventions are, in ter- maybe uh, both in terms of total printed and total that have actually entered the market. Um, and even though I ran a poll uh, on Twitter this week with like almost like 350 plus respondents or something like that, that suggested that the about the same number of people still hate these things as before, because of just how few of these there actually are, like almost none of them have more than 60 or 70 copies on TCG Player. And the ones that have popped off are down into the like three to 10 copies. It means that cornering the market's not that tough, not that expensive, doesn't take that long, and it's not very hard to hold because anybody who actually does like these things is putting them into a cube or just thinks they're great and is collecting them and trying to get a full set, and they, those just never re-enter the market. That was you know, Ed's core point on Twitter earlier this week and one that I agree with. Um, I still think that you know there are other better opportunities than both this and Reserve List, and we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later on, but some of these have clearly got some legs, so... You know, Force of Will, Thoughtseize, Scarab God, Blood Moon, Damnation, Consecrated Sphinx, uh, Cryptic Command, Daze, The Locust God, um, Wrath of God, Counterspell, because it's like the second most popular blue card in EDH, right, after um, Cyclonic Rift, uh, which is probably why it was targeted. Uh, and then the other one that, that went off that didn't make our list this week, but actually showed like 60% gains was, uh, Aggravated Assault, which is in like 5,000 plus decks on EDH.rec. You've got the Wrath of God, which is one of the few ones I actually bought a few copies of from Europe. Um, but the other thing is that the invocations are not underpriced in Europe the way that the masterpieces were. I think that you know, enough noise was made that the European vendors are now aware <laughs> that they they should be paying attention to U.S. prices and pricing accordingly. And the gaps that we were seeing in the wintertime that opened up opportunities for us over there don't really seem to be there for invocations. Yeah, that has been a real bummer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've been keeping a close eye on that. And you're right, the opportunities just are not there in nearly the same way that they were in the past. Seems like... Uh, People like them a lot more this time around over on that side of the uh, the ocean. So not as much, which means you're not going to see probably as as huge swings either, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and, and where all of this leads is then how long will it take if if 10 or 15 of these pop and hold over the next few months, then people are going to start turning their attention towards whether expeditions have been underrated. <laughs> you think that's where we're headed here? I, I think that you can get the hype train revved up hard enough that people will start turning their attention to things that, that all data suggests are not going to be easy to, to resell. Um, and, I, and I maintain that one of the things that's helping the inventions and invocations that hurt the expeditions was that a lot of the expeditions um, basically demand that you buy four at a time. No, nobody wants to run one expedition foil scalding turn in their deck. Like, if you're going to buy it, you're going to buy all four. 
Um, whereas a lot of these cards in Inventions and Invocations are fine as one-ofs for Cube or EDH. Um, and that means that the total price point isn't six to $800 for, like, say, a full playset of whatever Fetchland um, at whatever point in its price cycle that's been declining ever since it was released. Um, you know, the, the Masterpiece Soul Ring, even now at its kind of peak in the $200 range, or at least its local peak, um, has still been selling for me, no problem. I sold Mana Crypts and, and Soul Rings and Lightning Greaves and Solemn Salapgrims and Ornithopters all at full price this week. Um, no problem, lickety split. So, you know, keep in mind that the price point on the the composition of sale, you know, being under 200 versus some higher number is a big deal. There, there are psychological barriers on price points beyond that point. Okay. Uh, all fair points. Uh, okay, let's move on. Bloodline Keeper. Oh, God, this is taking so long. Bloodline Keeper from Innistrad. Uh, the foil specifically this week jumped from about 12 to 30. Um, congratulations to the guy who grabbed my foil place at 12 each because I had my inventory off during the commander spoilers and then forgot to fix my prices before I turned it back on. Um, he was quick on the draw. Uh, so a little over <laughs> a double up on that one um, for Bloodline Keeper. Because it's the best vampire that's not in the vampire stack. We talked about it like last week, I think, as a spec. Keep in mind that FTV flip is on the horizon sometime. I don't remember. It's probably this year, maybe next year. But that is almost certainly going to have Bloodline Keeper. So I would not want to be holding foils when we get to that. I don't think that the FTV is going to crush pack foils, but it's still not extra supply that i'm really eager to contend with so i would just rather be out of this and doing something else yeah ftv transform is november 24th 2017 and i want to be out of my bloodline keepers by that point um i posted i mean i listened to your spec last week myself and others bought some i'm posting them for sale hoping to unload them within the week as people start to uh, pick up the empire decks uh, and start thinking about what cards are good in them. This card's super good in the same way that uh, our second best card of the week, uh, se- second biggest gainer of the week, is also good in its respective deck. Um, and we're four for five for last week, which is uh, good and bad, I guess. I mean, other than Bloodlord of Vasca, Cyclonic Rift Foils, Supreme Verdict Foils, Bloodline Keeper, and Vengevine all, all showed relevant motion that made people money. So hopefully our pro traders got their value. All right. Well, cool beans. What's next? Try to blow through some of these. So tilling tree folk foils moved from a dollar fifty to three seventy five. I have no idea what's going on there. Is that a popper card? Uh, no. Well, it's pretty useful in EDH, especially in. Um, uh, shoot, God, I have not been able to remember anything today. I think I have a tumor. Uh, <laughs> the Gitrog monster. The Gitrog right. monster. It's good there, but that's about it. All right, the next three are all Wizards cards. Riptide Laboratory, uh, bouncing from like 7 to 18. Patron Wizards going from 7 to 20. And Fate Spinner Foils going from 9 to 28 in theory. I think of the three, that's going to be the hardest unload. Fate Spinner's not that good in the Wizards deck at all. Um, Patron Wizards, super solid. And Riptide Laboratory seems like an auto-include. So I think both both of those are going to make people money. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Riptide... Uh... Riptide Laboratory is really good, of course. Every Wizard's deck is going to want that. Um, Fate Spinner is very unique, although funny. Um, amusing story about Fate Spinner, since we have all sorts of time to kill today. Uh, when that card was released on Moto, I think it was, or maybe it wasn't on release, or it was somewhere in that time period. If you 
activated it, you prevented the opponent. The opponent couldn't answer the pop-up that were triggered after you cast Fate Spinner, like on their upkeep to choose a phase. So they would just time out if Fate Spinner lived until their upkeep. So <laughs> not only was a card in Mirrodin like unplayably broken because it just ended the game on the spot, they didn't turn it off. They didn't do anything. They just had admins in the chat channel spamming a message that if you cast Fate Spinner, you would get banned. So... There is uh, a little further glimpse into the history <laughs> of Moto and, and some and of the decisions they make. I think you're, if, if you are a fan of MTGO culture, then you should be trying to track down all of the like hate-filled chat logs um, from those games, turning them into a poster that you can hang on your wall. It would be like the the ultimate representation of what it, the frustrations of playing Magic Online. Yeah, I can't. Can you just imagine like? Oh, sorry. You're you're playing Overwatch. Like, oh, you're gonna play Overwatch. You can, you know, you just can't pick uh, Roadhog, or you get banned immediately. Like, he's still there in the character select screen. You can click on him, and there's constant messages in chat that you're not supposed to pick him. But if you do, you get banned. I mean, it's just like you can't wrap your head around it. No. Um, okay, so after that, we have Ponder, uh, the Lorwyn foils, uh, which is still the only foil copy of this card. I think. No, really. I, was it reprint? I don't think it's been reprinted in any of these master sets, right? No, no, no. Ponder was reprinted in Magic 2010 and 2012. Okay, but just like those two core sets, right? Yeah. Like nothing recent at all. Oh, 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 because this is the original is Lorwyn. I'm sorry. Well, okay. So my mistake, but, but the, I was but wrong. The arts, but it's the only one with the original art. Yeah, the that's that. It was the uh, the fish nipples was the Lorwyn one. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, yep, so yep. we're. We're seeing foil copies jump from 40 to 120 uh, for, you know, triple up. I'm not completely sure that those will move at this price, but I mean, original pack foil ponders, which is essentially one step below brainstorm in the pantheon of cantrips is, uh, you know, the price is whatever you want to ask for, essentially. Well, I mean, original printing legacy foils tend to do this when their inventory drains. They pop hard and then no one ever has a reason to lower the price again because there's no de- desperation to race to the bottom because people know that even if it gets reprinted multiple times, original is original for those people. Um, it's a very specific subset um, of the potential <clears throat> purchasing uh, you know, marketplace, but you know, it works uh, for those legacy things. And it's also therefore worth keeping an eye on things like original pack foils of fatal push, because the card's going to get reprinted multiple times in the future, but original pack foils will probably have a premium five, six years down the road. Yeah. That one's that one I'm curious about because they seem to keep one upping themselves on removal, but they have backed off on cantrips. So whereas the removal, you could keep seeing get better, right? Like for a while, for a little while, it was uh, murderous cut. It was like, damn, this thing's ridiculous and this is going to be a big deal. And then they improved it and then they improved it. So we could see that happen with Fatal Push. But Ponder, I mean, like they've gone away from one mana contract. So I don't think we're going to really see any improvements to this. Not anytime soon, anyways. Now that as long as Modern is is like the the core non-standard competitive format for constructed um and they've got path bolt and push at one mana i think they leave well enough alone i I mean there will be variations potentially at some point but i just it's not going to be too often we're going to see one mana kill spells i mean the distance between path bolt to path and path i mean bolt and source plowshares to path and then path to fatal push are big gaps in time agree 
Agree. Right. So further down the tribal EDH road, we have Urza's incubators moving from 6 to 25. I had a whole bunch of these lying around. I'm so pleased. Um, <laughs> and I, it doesn't need to sell at 25. I'm happy to sell close-ish to 20 um, and unload, unload, unload. Keep in mind, this was just pr- reprinted in, a, I think, Commander 2015 or 2016. Um, but- uh, yeah. But all of those sold out anyway. Um, and before that, it was Urza's Legacy, which is ages ago. Um, so, And since they didn't put it in here, um, and next year's EDH is probably not tribal, this is probably safe for a while. Um, so I don't think you need to be in a rush to sell these. You put them up, you know, test the waters, sell a couple, maybe hold for a little while, sell a couple again. Um, the real question here is how important does Commander 2017 make tribal for EDH in general? My guess is not that much. Um, I think this is going to have a modest impact compared to last year's commanders, um, but we'll see how it plays out. Okay, congratulations on your your uh, newfound wealth there on those. <laughs> it's not that many. Um, but- okay, <laughs> next up is Void Mage Prof Prodigy, the Kai Bood Invitational, um, specifically the F and M copy jumped from like two and change to 12. He is a wizard. He allows you to sacrifice your wizards to become counter spells. Your wizard, Harry, um, I don't know, old FNM promo foil, probably reasonably sticky and reasonably good ability. Yeah, that's rock solid. In fact, it says here that it moved from like three to 12. That could easily end up at 20, a little further down the road if one of the wizard uh, commanders becomes more popular than imagined. Yeah, agree. All right, so periphery nodes from Time Spiral, just the non-foil version, moving from 275 to 12. I'm surprised that inventory was low enough on the non-foils. If you'd asked me, I would have guessed that there was a couple hundred of those lying around on TCG alone, but apparently not. Um, And I've got some of those lying around too, uh, for no good reason other than that I opened up too much of that set. Uh, So yeah, if I can unload these anywhere, I'm going to price them at 888 or something like that and see if I can move some and report Hmm. back. Well, yeah, this um, this did get uh, bought out a while ago because somebody played some modern event with it and people got all excited that maybe it was good. Um, and it wasn't really, but it did kind of drain the well once already. So um, there was a little bit less of that excess demand floating around in binders, I think. I mean, this card uh, shows up you know, semi-consistently in white, uh, blue, and Jeskai uh, control builds in modern sometime, mostly in the sideboard, uh, can be good against Death Shadow builds if you're running almost like a pure control shell. Say you're attacking with Celestial Colonnades and or Planeswalkers to put an end to things, then the lowest uh, power creature on the table is going to be your opponent's. Um, and even if it only kills one thing, that can be worth it for one white mana. Um, the question is, do you have the time... Uh, necessary for the delayed effect because you don't it's not like a path to exile where you kill things right away but uh that being said there it's still a useful card and as you mentioned off cast uh it's uh basically a functional reprint of drop of honey that's color shifted and since that card has exploded anybody that wants that effect may turn their uh, attention to this for edh purposes etc uh yep yep uh, let's see. Next on our list is Stony Brook Banneret, another Wizards card. This one um, is the uh, in the Banneret cycle from what was that? Sh- not Shadow Moor, Morning Tide um, gave uh, all your creatures of that type cost one less. So just another cost reducing creature. There's quite a few of these. 
the foils jumped from about two to 10. Um, that's another one that I think is probably going to be fairly stable until it sees a reprint just because um, there's not that many copies around. You know, Lorwyn was sort of a low for the number of players in the block, and it's uh, really useful um, if you're looking for that effect. Yep, fair enough. Next on the list, we have Quicksilver Elemental from Mirrodin. Foils moving from a dollar to five fifty. This is on uh, Marisil uh, hype. Uh, the idea here is that you have Quicksilver, uh, Quicksilver Elemental in your graveyard, which has the ability pay one blue and gain all activated abilities of target creature. So you can basically use the one in the graveyard to steal abilities from things that are in play, not just your creatures that are in the graveyard. Yep. Uh, I don't really care for this one. This seems like too much of a stretch, but hey, what do I know? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how those decks start coming together, but I'm not super hyped about that either. We also have Wanderwine Profits from Lorwyn. The foil's moving from 250 to 16. Uh, Infinite turn combo and wizards. Yeah, you the the God. I don't remember the exact sequencing, but it's like the one of them. Every time a wizard comes into play, you pay one and you make a copy of it. So like, Wanderwine. Basically, you can like make copies of Wanderwine Profit every turn, and then like copy it to make more of them, make more turns. I don't know for sure. I just know that that's the way it works. But it's not something like that. It's not that good. Um, You have to like keep hitting your opponents. So if you're able to get in once, you're probably okay to keep getting in, but that's not guaranteed. Um, And, you know, Jason brought up a really good point that you can look back to... uh, What set was that? Um, Sorry. uh, The... I really can't remember anything today. Azuri and Sage of Hours, because the two of them was like a two-card combo for infinite turns, and it was a lot better, and people were a little jazzed about that, and it never really took off. So this is a tougher combo to put together. Um, so nifty and fine to have in your deck, but not like a must-have, like, key part of your deck. Got it. So next on the list has to be one of the largest foil multipliers going, if you believe the single posted price on TCG Player, which is for a lightly played foil, by the way. Um, non-foil copies of Carnival of Souls, which is a reserve list card that reads as follows. One on a black enchantment. Uh, whenever a creature comes into play, you lose one life and add uh, black to your mana pool. Um, the foil copy is posted at $270. Nope, $280. My mistake. <laughs> so that's, you know, 28 cents for a copy or a thousand times that for a foil. I don't know. Seems like uh, reasonable to me. Um this is another uh, another reserve list foil. There's not too many of those out there, so not understandable how we get to this point. Um, I don't know. Seems like you're shooting for the moon on this one. I think like sixty or seventy is probably about what this should be, right? Yeah, I mean the danger here is you're you're waiting for the guy who's trying to finish a set. No one's playing this card, right? This isn't an EDH card that I've overlooked. Uh, it's not bad in EDH. It's not unplayable, but it's not remarkable. It feels like somebody that can go off with a bunch of infinite tokens can just kill you on the spot, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it has its utility, but it's hardly, you know, hardly going to make or break your deck. 
Yeah. So th- this is not the kind of stuff you ever want to be deep on. This this has the same problem as well, we're getting into that discussion. First, let's talk about Dose of Protection, which I did buy some of, which is a, a great card in the Wizards deck and like an auto include. Foils were um, super scarce. It's from Eldritch Moon. It's not an old card. Um, but the foils, uh, I got in on it about six and some people were buying them up at two, um, which I'm kind of jealous of. That seems real sweet because in theory, it's a $30 card. It pro- may or may not hold that price point, but it's probably going to be an exit of 15 to 20 minimum i mean there's not going to be that many flooding back into the marketplace i would guess because um you know the people that bought them up only could only get a few dozen so once those get dried up by the edh crew over the next six months it really truly will be a a rare foil cliff from our team was saying that he thinks it might end up in ftv transform but that seems way too soon given that that would be like within eight months of its being published being reprinted again yeah, I mostly agree that that's uh, that's the case. I guess you know they might every now and then when they do those FTVs, they put in a very recent card. Um, so that's not completely out of the realm of possibility, uh, especially if they do like Delver and Dawson, right? Like, oh, sorry, both. I said eight months, sixteen months, but that's still too soon. Yeah, it's still very early. But in any case, like they might choose to do it. They don't have that many to choose from, and then it would allow them to do Delver and Dawson, like kind of that little connection. I don't know. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it definitely seems not terribly likely. That does sway me because those two cards are cute together. Yeah, which is a point, right? Because it's supposed to be Delver into Insectile Aberration into Docent of whatever, and then Docent of Protection. Mm -hmm. Perfection, not protection. That has has me wanting to sell quickly. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) All right. So the last thing we're going to talk about this week is we have like 12 cards in this list. Um, they kind of the prices are all over the place. I'm not going to give you the the changes for each one of them, um, but they've all seen pretty sizable jumps, anywhere from like a double up to you know a huge gain. Uh, you know, questionable how sustainable those are. Like North Star, Martyr's Cry, Haunting Wind, Knowledge Vault, Power Leech, Alcor's Tomb, Sandals of Abdullah, Lifeblood, Merchant Ship, Ifbif Efri, Forethought Amulet, Singing Tree, Alabaras Carpet, Junjun Efri, Jalum Tome, Aladdin's Ring. Um, I think there are some more that I missed. Most of them are reserved lists, but not all of them. The ones that are not reserved lists, we're looking at the original printing from either Arabian Night or um, Legends, maybe The Dark. These have all seen sort of a... A sort of, I don't want to say a, a resurgence, but I do remember last year when I was abroad, you, you know, Cliff was here for a couple of weeks and I remember glancing at the show notes and seeing that the reserve list cards had went nuts. There was one week where you guys had like 40 cards to cover. And this seems to be amusingly enough, right around the same time, the same concept. Uh, do you, do we want to get into this now or do you want to save this for the last segment? We, I, we can get into this now and and bypass the last segment. The here's the thing. Here's what's going on. People have decided to play chicken, where vendors and speculators have lashed onto the idea that the reserve list is here to stay. I, I don't know why they they've suddenly come to this conclusion, um, and I'm baffled as to why they're targeting like nothing reserve list cards instead of already moderately expensive but almost certainly can support even higher prices good cards that are actually playable in certain formats um you know stuff like a guy's cradle which is already expensive but could easily go higher um and then you only have to buy one copy of a card instead of like 112 
you know, scattered copies of like LP versions of all this garbage. But this is what's going on. Like, and it's happening day after day after day. Like we, we gave you a list, but this isn't even close to everything. Like they're basically just going to go, the, people have decided whoever those people are. And it's probably a smattering of people in MTG Finance community, vendors and, and writers and listeners and whatever. It's, a, it's, it's everybody. Um, you know, even I've dipped my toe in the waters and bought a few things here and there, although not as sketchy by any means. Um, I'm aghast. I, I was buying things like Lake of the Dead. I've bought Gaia's Cradles this year. I've bought Yavimaya Hollows. Um, you know, shit that actually gets played um, that can easily go higher. This stuff is all about saying, I'm going to get as many copies as I think I can get that I can unload at a profit to whoever wants to finish a set. And I posted a, a another uh, widely answered survey on Twitter earlier this week and asked people, do you ever intend to finish one of these sets? One of these original first few years of magic, the old school magic sets like Antiquities, Arabian Nights, The Dark, Legends, Alpha Beta, etc. Um, and the vast majority of people said no. It was like 10% of people said yes. Now, 10% of magic players, you know, even if we're only talking about the biased sample of people that follow me on Twitter, um, which are going to skew probably towards MTG Finance interested, towards long term, towards um, uh, committed to the game and spending a lot on the hobby. You know, if there's 20 million magic players and from my segment, there's a million and of those 10% is 100,000 and there are 120 copies of one of these garbage cards lying around, you can still get there. I mean, the question is, how long is it going to take you? And should you put your money somewhere else where it would have done way more work way faster? So, I mean, I even like some of the invocations that I don't like better than I like most of this. <laughs> yeah, th this has been definitely a topic in the community as of late uh, with all these moving. And it's, you know, sometimes you get kind of to a self-fulfilling prophecy, too, where people start talking about how they think these are going to go up. A couple of people hear it, take action. You know, there were only a couple copies in the first place. Somebody else notices the supply dries up. So they jump on. So you kind of get that that ball rolling without and, it, and you know it's just sort of nothing but a chain of greater fools uh, you know i want to say i think it's great if people manage to profit off of this i think some of these cards you know their reserve list feasibly they have no ceiling because um we will just never see them again um clearly there many of them are useless or have long been outdone but they these still carry demand because of what they are so it's not like you can make the argument that uh they will be replaced because that's just you know they already were and that doesn't seem to matter so you can definitely make money on these that's not to say and it's not i'm not the one to say that you can't um and, and if people are pulling that off that's great i am simply preaching caution on these we're talking about cards with remarkably limited demand profiles like you ha try and think of the person who has no interest in the financial aspect of the game who wants to own one of these you know who wants to own a north star or you know an alcor's tomb or something like that um i mean you're really only talking about collectors right like even the people who play 93 94 admit that these are basically useless so you're you're down to that collector subset and even then it's got to be somebody who's willing to strike out and try and put together an entire legend set or an entire arabian's night set uh i mean that's no small feat especially when the garbage is starting at twenty dollars so are do those people and and 
once you're at that stage, you're willing to put that together. Are you looking for slightly played and moderately played and heavily played copies? Like who who's putting together a moderately played set of Arabian Nights, right? Like what is the point of that? Like you're going to go for like near mint, gem mint type of thing because it's supposed to be a collection. So I my only concern is that you tend to just be sort of selling to each other or selling to people that are a little further behind on the uptake than you are. So you can still make money and that's great. Just keep in mind, you know, who are you, who is the eventual owner of this card and how hard is it going to be to find that person? Because you are in looking at a tiny sliver of individuals who are going to look for this and they might already own them. So just, you know, I just tell you there, there's still some money out there. I'm sure on a lot of this stuff, just, be careful and don't get caught up in the hype too much. Yeah, I mean, SIG over at QS has been sounding this trumpet for years, and uh, as have many other people. And, you know, the strategy, as he outlined it, is he doesn't really go deep on any of these. He grabs a handful. I think that's right. Like, you don't want to be caught holding 20 North Stars. But if North Star spikes and somebody panic buys because they, they had a set that's half put together or whatever and they didn't have that card... Then if you ride that wave and you bought, you know, six copies at $3 and you unload one at 20, you've already covered your cost base and then you can kick back and see what happens. That's not terrible. But if you compare this to our specs from last week, Supreme Verdict foils and Cyclonic Rift foils are, are much more likely to make you money with less effort than this stuff. Like you're not going to have to wait around forever to resell those those cards into the marketplace because their demand profiles are huge. And yeah, they're going to get reprinted. Reprint risk is a real thing. But reprint risk is vastly overestimated in terms of its 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 true risk on a day-to-day basis. Reprint risk happens in a scale of years, not days or months. Like we're not seeing the same cards get reprinted multiple times per year. We're not even seeing many of the cards that we imagine will be reprinted never get reprinted. There's yeah. there's this, there's this, there's far more um, cards that people expect to get printed that don't than there are surprise reprints that catch us off guard. And every once in a while, it's going to cost you a little money to get caught out on a reprint, but. Uh, by and large, you're going to get a three to five year window. And and something like Cyclonic Rift that just got printed last spring, as far as I'm concerned, it may as well be reserved list for another three to four years, because the next time we're going to see that pop up is, is going to be in a commander set as a non-foil. And so, you know, there, there are, the point is that there are better opportunities. There are places where you can consolidate your money in a tighter package, a single card even, and you don't even need to leave the reserve list. Like next week, I'm going to talk about the, the list of reserve list cards. and I'm going to write an article too that people should actually be targeting that are not yet bought out that are have way higher demand profiles and that have already gone through multiple cycles of hitting plateaus but probably have room for another one um because you know even if reserve list is your your game i don't see why you're picking ring of immortals over some $100 reserve list card that could easily sell just as well at 200 right and so- i think I think that that right there is is going to be a good topic is it's really easy is the the like two and three dollar reserve list cards are attractive because they're so cheap and you've got dollar signs in your eyes um but they're also two and three dollar reserve list cards for a reason like nobody wants them or plays with them so you know there is an extremely limited demand for those cards whereas you're correct like the cards that are a hundred dollars it's like oh this is kind of tough to buy like a guy is cradle at two hundred dollars but like there is real and serious demand and that card is not getting ever improved upon so i feel like that's probably a tougher bullet to bite um but more likely much more reliable um and you're less likely to just end up with them 
burning holes in your pockets, right? Like you're always going to be able to get rid of a guy's cradle. Um, and, and you got to consider time value of money, right? Like as you get deeper and deeper in MG finance, you're going to end up in the position that I suspect you are as, as well oh as I God. am. I there's talked about just, this last week, right? <laughs> there's just too many cards in my house. Like there are just too many. I took a picture and posted on Twitter of like over 300 cards where I'm in the money and the demand is there. And I just don't have the time to post the sale. Because it takes me like three to five minutes to post it on, on eBay on my phone or to put up a post on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And when I do, something moves. But I don't have that much time during the week. And, and you know, not everybody's going to end up in that position. But you still want to value your time. Like whatever you're making per hour at your job, you've got to factor that in to some extent to how much time you're spending on this stuff. And if you've got to choose between laying a $100 bill down on the table and picking up one card that you can faithfully resell like in three to six months versus having to micromanage and track the progress on, you know, four copies of a $3 card that you bought times 12 or something between 12 different specs, you're doing yourself a disservice. It doesn't make sense to like diversification is overrated at MTG Finance. Diversification in the stock market is is about the fact that you have both microeconomic and macroeconomic factors in play that you cannot always track or predict. You know, a war or an act of God goes on and has some major impact on a company and you want to be insulated against that. Some some uh, industries move in counter cycles to one another. Magic is a little more predictable than that. And the, the, the best stuff to target is relatively easy to predict when, when you get this deep into it. And so you don't, you want to be diversified, but you don't need, if you choose between Gaia's Cradle and a bunch of this garbage, it's not even a close choice, really. So here's the other thing is the guy that, that, that was like called us, called me out to bend the knee on Twitter this week because he sold his grim monolith near a thousand. Note that when we talked about this on the cast last week, the jump was 500 to 2000. And we said, if you sell it anywhere near this price, let us know. Well, he didn't sell it near 2000. He sold it near 1000. So he was 1000 bucks off the peak, which is a full 50% of the of the declared value of the, the highest price on TCG at the time. He undercut that price, he successfully sold. That's a great spec. Good job for him. But <laughs> our point about the $2000 foil grim monolith uh, is still still stands, right? Like that was still an incredulous amount and even though I heard multiple stories of them selling closer to 1000, and that's a good spec. Don't get me wrong. You know, we were right to question whether two thousand was the, was actually a number that could move. So I mean, yeah. be, be 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 prepared. I guess my my bottom line is be prepared for retraces on many of these cards, meaning that a lot of them are going to fall back off their their declared peaks because the market is sil- is sillily following whatever the highest posted price is after a buyout as the new plateau. When in fact, the new plateau will be established by the sold market price over time. Yeah. And you're, you know, I'll touch on it briefly. The one point you said something about the the time and that type of thing. And that is completely correct. I was, I posted a picture on Twitter earlier this week with like 60 cards on my desk and a pile of envelopes. And I'm like, from now I'm just sticking to masterpieces because like it's now I'm at the point where it's taking me upwards of two hours a night to package all of these cards and get them in the mail. And it's not every single night, it's every couple of nights, but that's like, a complete pain in the ass when you're trying to do a lot of other stuff. And I'm putting this card in this envelope. I'm like, I know that I made $3 on this, but man, I am still not sure that it's worth it. Um, so, you know, ha- just having stuff that's a little larger, that's more reliable that you don't have to worry about is definitely comforting. Um, one last brief aside on this uh, to anyone who is patting themselves on the back for being prescient about 
calling these ahead of time. I mean, like I can also be present that the sun is going to set tomorrow, but you know, it's not really worth bragging about. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, granted, I, I, I've criticized going after these specs. And if people make money on them, then I'll bend the knee to that that success. If they can do it in a way that convinces me it was as good or better than other options that uh, we or others called out. You know what I'm saying? It's about it's not about a dick measuring contest. It's about what was best for everybody. What was the easiest money? Because our job as MTG finance people should always be to lead people to the easiest money. That, that's what we're trying to accomplish, right? So let's move into the segment two, Cards to Watch, and see if we can't help with that uh, yet again. I'm not doing segment two until you agree to stop saying that. <laughs> you don't want to BTK? Can we yeah, no, just, a, just no. No, trait? I refuse to acknowledge. <laughs> look, Chapo Trap House used it, and I was okay with that because in the context it was acceptable and it made sense, but I just I do not want this turn of phrase spreading. Please, please. All right. All right, all right. So Please. my first pick this week, uh, Insurrection Foils, <laughs> mid to long term, confidence level eight. It's an onslaught foil that never seems to get reprinted. If this card shows up again in EDH, uh, it will not be foil. Um, and it's not a. It, it's a card that could easily show up in one of these upcoming master sets, so it's not without risk. Um, but it is in like 5k decks on edh.rec. You can currently get in on what is a very limited foil supply in and around 20. I suspect it can hold 35 to 40 pretty easily. Um, it's one of the better ways to finish a game of Commander um, if you're playing the color red. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if you caught this on Twitter, but earlier this week, I was talking with, I think it was BDM and Josh, maybe some other people. I don't remember all the names, but... A, Oh, it was Nate. Nathan Holt, the guy who does Walk the Plane, said, like, is there any worse card to lose to in in EDH than Insurrection? And most people are like, no. Like, this card is abysmal to play against. Um, You know, you can point to stuff like In Garrick's Wake, which is another nine mana spell with a huge impact on the board, but it doesn't win you the game on the spot because you have to be able to kill everyone. Same with Cyclonic Rift. It's absurd when you overload it, but if you don't have enough going on yourself to kill people, you still can't win. Um, even Rise from the Grave, which is another like nine mana spell, which has put every creature in every graveyard in the play under your control. Obviously ludicrous. The number of games you're going to lose after you cast that is very little, but still beatable unless all of their creatures have haste or some other shenanigans. But Insurrection is just like, you don't have to be doing anything. You can have done nothing the entire game, be at one life, slam Insurrection, and win on the spot unquestioned. Um I, I hate this card. I don't hate the pick, but I think the card is terrible. But the right reason I bring this up is because there's a lot of people like this card is stupid and we don't like it in EDH. So I would say more so than the average card. I guess there is a slight concern it could get removed, but at the same time, probably not. Sheldon doesn't know what he's doing and they're going to be like, well, this ends magic games. It's fine. So I guess it's not going to get banned. I'm just using my soapbox to complain about insurrection. It's not going to get banned because because red is already underpowered in EDH, and this is like one of the few top end cards that matters for them. Um, right, and, right. And they've they've got to face down a plethora of blue based decks that use Cyclonic Rift in a similar fashion, and it's still a format with Soul Ring and Mana Crypt and so forth. So there's there's lots of ways for people to deal with this. They can use all of their the counterspell invocations that they bought out to counter this thing. It's not it's not a problem. Um, however, it is a good spec. There there's Four, six, there's eight copies under $25 left on TCG Player. There's no way, there's no way that um, if it doesn't see a reprint in the uh, Iconic Masters, um, you're going to have plenty of time to get out. If it sees a reprint there and the art is good, 
then that puts some pressure, but this is still original printing and it's an onslaught printing. So this will still have, I suspect, hold value uh, far and above um, any reprinted foil unless the art is truly stunning. Okay. I don't think that's too bad. Um, I think the card's terrible. I think the spec is fine. <laughs> Uh, my first pick for the week is Austere Command, and I'm looking at the invocation specifically. Um, you know, we, we did talk about earlier, you said you were a little hesitant on uh, the invocations at this point, which I think is fair. Uh, we have started to see some action on them. This is kind of one of those positions that's like, well, even if the card itself, like even if there isn't a lot of people rushing to buy Austere Command Invocations themselves. If I get enough people who like think they are, they want to, blah, 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 uh, it still pushes the price up and I can make money selling to a greater fool, essentially. Um, but in any case, copies right now are 25. I think these are probably pretty primed for 50 or 60 bucks. It's on over 10,000 decks on EDA track, which puts it into like, what top like two percent or something like that like of edh playable cards it is just in a complete stratosphere if you're playing white i don't know what deck doesn't have this um the price is dirt cheap right like we're talking you know think about an invention under 30 dollars. it's like basically every playable invention under that price point is long gone um austere command seems like a really good one to pay attention to uh Inventory is reasonable, you know, maybe a little lower than the others, but not like dramatically so. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, about, I, you know. it's about 30 copies. But y- you just took me to school, brother. Like, I did not realize this card was that good in EDH. It wasn't even on my radar. But now that I'm looking at it, wow, the flexibility. Four double white, and you choose two of the following four options. Destroy all artifacts, destroy all enchantments, destroy all creatures with converted mana cost three or less, or mana cost four or greater. Um but you don't know any of that because you can't read the text on the on the card. So look it up on some Correct. other copy. Yeah, um, but yeah, the card is unreal, like an EDH, right? Like you literally, if you're playing white, I don't know what deck doesn't run this card. Because enchantments are so hard to get rid of in EDH. It's like the it's the probably the most resilient uh, permanent type. Yeah, I, I think the reason for that you know tends to be that it is the color that has the a permanent type that has the least number of ways to directly interact with them and the least colors can profitably interact with it right if we're talking about artifacts you you know some artifacts you can go after with kill spells um and there's a lot of cards built around hosing artifacts in a lot of colors but enchantments it's like there aren't really any enchantment creatures and there's really only two colors that can ever deal with them and only one well so like i mean you get to the point where people start like well, I guess you can't really splash color in Commander, but like, you're like, if you're building a black-red deck, you're like, shit. Like, I really wish I could find a way to destroy enchantments. I wonder if I can switch my Commander for one that's Mardu so that I can do something, have some more flexible answers. The way I handled the Masterpiece series when I first looked at the inventions in the winter um, that we've talked about a couple times is the same way you should handle this. Keep your eye on supply levels. Keep in mind that Europe and Japan are not good outlets this time because... Um, I, I think Facebook groups and like social media in Europe might be good. Like I picked up some stuff through my contacts over there that was underpriced versus uh, Magic Card Market, which is their version of TCG player. Um, but as a way to say siphon off 20 or 30 copies, we're not going to have that chance this time. So you don't need to be quite as hesitant that vendors are going to be able to pull inventory over from Europe and, and restock the market. And as such, once something's under like 20 copies, if you think that, you, that the card represents a solid spec, I think you can start thinking about it. There are already multiple versions of the the invocations that are on, you know, in that position. We've already seen Counterspell and Thoughtseize pop. Uh, both Scarab God and Locust God have popped. Um, 
Blood Moon is already pretty high, but it's one of the only ones that I find semi-palatable. Um, the art's fantastic on that card, and Blood Moon is an important card and doesn't seem like it's going to get banned in Modern anytime soon. Damnation was targeted this week and is sitting just under 100 with like two copies left on TCG, so that seems solid. Like, if you want to copy that, there's no reason to hold off now because it's never going to go back to 30 copies. Like, this, this could, some could flood back into the market as people um, worry about holding too many and you could get back up to 10 or 15, but that's not going to push the the price down too much and there's not a whole lot more of this getting open given that Ixalan is on the on the horizon um consecrated sphinx is probably going to go off sooner or later days the art's stunning and days is pretty much gone there's like two copies of that right no no there's like 25 left Um, oh but it started really expensive that's what it is yeah i mean the the art on that card is was turned into a SCG playmat, which I think is probably a must-own if you collect playmats, because um, it was yeah wasted on this card. The full art version is gorgeous. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely targets here. Keep, keep your eyes on the inventory levels. Um, judge your picks based on, you know, the, the same methods we've talked about before. What's played as a playset in Modern and or Legacy? Um, you know, playsets of three or four uh, being a, a greater priority over one-offs. Um, what's got long legs in ideation is unlikely to ever get reprinted in similar fashion and go ahead and make your plays on the basis that some people like ugly looking cards. Uh, Yeah. You know, again, I would play them, play it just because it's, I know that it's ugly, but it's like, I don't know, whatever. Uh, (laughs) what's your next card, James? Parallel lives foils in hasn't been reprinted in foil. $14, $14, probably can unload them around 25 for like an 80% gain. Um, the fact that Anointed Procession is basically the same card in white isn't a detriment to this card. On the contrary, since they're both basically EDH cards and are going to be played in largely decks like Atraxa that are both green and white, this just adds redundancy that reinforces the strength of decks that want to be leveraging this effect. Um, inventory is pretty low. Uh, and there are just not that many foils around, and once they're gone, I do not expect to see a reprint of this card anytime soon, given that we just got Anointed Possession. Uh, yeah, sure. That is a powerful card, man. I remember back in Innistrad when this card was like, I was trading for them at 50 cents, and they were four bucks, and nobody knew it. That's a while ago. Uh, next card is Replenish um, from Urza's Destiny. Uh Looking at the foil copies here, um, which are currently about $75, but this is a reserveless card. Four mana returns all of your enchantments and artifacts, if memory serves me. It might just be enchantments to play. Uh, really powerful effect. Um, there aren't too many of these floating effects of this floating around. Uh, very few foils floating around. I know $75 is a huge buy-in, so I don't expect a lot of people to jump on it, but I sold a foil palancron last week for $240. Um, you know, we've seen Grimonolith go insane. So I think $75 is actually pretty accessible, um, pretty pretty reasonably priced at this point for this type of effect. So I, uh, yeah, I see there's some room here. I think that given the open-ended synergy on Replenish um, and its playability in EDH, and the fact that it's on the reserve list, um, and that it has a power level that's actually worth pursuing, um, all of which leads me to believe that yeah, this this foil. Is, if you think you're ever going to want it or need it in any format, you go ahead and pick this up. At worst, 
It never goes down from here. It only goes up. How fast? Yeah, not 100% sure. But, you know, could it push 100, 125 within the next 12 months? Sure. Could it hit 200? Outside chance, but eventually it'll get there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a slow gainer, right? Like I don't expect it to flip immediately, but you know this is this and like uh, Academy Rector just feel kind of like yeah, they're foil reserve list cards that people play. So you're probably going to get paid on it eventually. Can I just point out that the fact that TCG Player has employees in Ohio is just pissing me off. Like the fact that everything costs more. I know we already talked about this, but <laughs> so annoying. Oh, because of the uh, tax. Yeah. Which you yeah, were you, I mean, you were already paying, but I wasn't. So now that uh, I am, I'm upset. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just like you talk about tax and it's annoying, but I'm adding 9% to the cost of all of my specs. Like any spec that I buy in TCG Player, you have to add 9%. That's a hammering, man. That sucks. Yeah, it is. You, it should you, all feel bad for me. You need to set up a PO box in a neighboring state that they don't have employees in yet. And then just get the shipping service to send you the stuff every once in a while. <laughs> If you're Maybe. buying enough, if you're buying enough, it probably works out. I think I've kind of, I'm buying like over a thousand a month on TCG, so it probably works out for me to figure that out. Um, I can probably just like tap, you know, somebody that lives in a state they're not in, and just get everything sent there and then forward it on. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of these things where I'm, um, I don't really buy that many from TCG Player anymore. You know, I'm buying from other countries at this point. But if I ever end up back spending more money over there, possibly. The biggest problem is that sometimes I'm looking to turn those around pretty quickly. Um, so the, the delay there is kind of more of the problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like we're going to be able to rely on Europe forever because <laughs> we've turned enough people on to that concept that uh, plenty of people have looked at it hard and made moves. The uh, specs have not dried up uh, so far, but I, you know... Who knows how long we've got to play in that particular playground. So moving on to my next two picks, I'll give you guys a bonus this week. I like Reki, the history of Kamigawa as a mid to long term hold that could pop off this fall when people realize that Planeswalkers are now legendary. This thing um, lets you draw a card every time a legendary permanent comes into play in your turn. So that could be a legendary land. It could be a legendary creature. It could be your commander. It could be a Planeswalker. And all of that leads me to believe it might finally see some play in something like Atraxa. It's been a pretty underwhelming card in EDH so far so there's no certainty that it that it makes the cut in any particular deck but this is from uh champions of kamigawa block uh it's a rare there's hardly any of them lying around you can get in on this for whatever remaining copies you can find in and around six bucks and i think it could easily hit 15 on the hype spike once people start uh latching on to the planeswalkers as legendary thing this fall okay yeah that seems fair i mean all those cards are uh are kind of a big question mark, but very appealing because we don't know if people are going to, if, 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 for in, if it is definitely going to happen and if it is what people's reaction is going to be, but uh, sure. I'm right there with you that it but is my, uh, certainly appealing. I mean, you could build a Traxa to be more legendary focused along with in your Planeswalker build, like maybe swap six to eight cards out to have a few more legends in there and run like Thalia's Lancers and some of the other white cards that help you go find legendary stuff. Um, and then in which case Sisse and Reke fit right in, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So my final pick of the week is Kaldotha Forge Master Foils from, I was shocked to learn, um, the Scars of Mirrodin, 
uh, card that's played in vintage decks is only nine bucks for the foils. Um, sell target probably of like 20. It's also used in like 5,000 decks. So pretty much all of the artifact commanders can find a use for this. This is the thing where you sack a bunch of artifacts and then you get to return one from the graveyard, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, from you search your library and put it into play. Oh, that's even better. It's an artifact tutor. It, it yeah. tutors, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, because it's named Koldatha, which is specific to a plane, um, this is not easy to reprint. It has to be basically be in a master set or an FTV or something like that. We already know what the FTV is for this year. It won't be landing there. It could ostensibly show up in one of these master sets, but it would not by no means be a priority um, given its play pattern. So I think this one's probably safe for a while, and you you might end up holding this one for a little longer than some of my other specs, like more like 12 months, something like that, to unload. Um, depends how deep people go and how many people listen to us. But the, you know, I think it's a relatively safe pick given that it's a multi-format card that has a high and unique power level. Yeah, it is a it is a powerful card. I, I remember buying a, a stack of non-foils uh, a while ago because Chaz Andres was talking about it. And I was like, oh, okay. And all the stars were aligning and then they just didn't go anywhere. I jostle him about that occasionally. Uh, but yeah, that is a pretty cheap foil price for a card that's certainly high on power level. Um, does a lot for you. Popular in EDH, popular elsewhere. So Sure. I, and I think I think the reprint risk is low enough at this point. Um, you know, maybe you hold off. Maybe you might want to skip until Iconic Masters comes out just to be sure type of thing. Uh, and then just, you know, suck it I up mean, for Masters 25. I mean, less than $200 buys this out on TCG. That's a pretty easy spec. Uh, wow. Yeah, that is pretty cheap. All right. So give me your final pick. Um, my last pick of the week is uh, the Attrition Masterpiece, just like uh, Austere Command. It is um, remarkably cheap, uh, reasonably well played in um, EDH. It's, uh, it's a cool effect. It's powerful because it's sit on the battlefield and people have to look at this weird card and not be able to read it. But the price is so low. It's $20. It's so it's just really appealing to me. It's like three or 4,000 decks, so a, a pretty good number. Um but at 20 bucks, it's just like, sure, why not, right? Like masterpieces that are playable in Commander under that number, it's fine by me. Uh, so I think this can jump up into the 40 to $50 range pretty comfortably. Um, you know, pretty straightforward. Yep, I, I can buy into that. There are still... One of the interesting things about Aggravated Assault getting targeted was that it's moderately played in EDH, but it's not like a top 30 cards kind of thing. Um and it was sitting around selling out, like draining not all at once in and around like 20 to $30, right? So a bunch of like $80 like high demand cards like Cryptic Command and stuff like that got left on the shelf and people went after Aggravated Assault. Yeah, I don't really understand the Aggravated Assault choice either. Uh, I wonder if they know something I don't, but I I don't know. I, I'm just curious. I, I Sometimes I, I, I wonder whether people are too, let themselves be guided too much by price point. So like one of the interesting conversations I have with people that don't really, aren't really into the stock market um, is if I mention a stock like Apple or something, they say, how much, well, how much is it? And you tell them the price and they're like, wow, that's really expensive. And you're like, well, it doesn't really matter how much the stock is. It matters how much it is relative to how the company is doing on all of these different metrics, right? Like, What's the price to earnings ratio is like a basic thing to keep in mind, for instance. Um, 
the the price of the stock particularly doesn't really matter unless you don't have enough money to buy one share, which is pretty rare no matter what the stock is. Um, it, it really matters what the potential for growth is, whether you're talking about a stock or a magic spec. How much further can you get with this? And how much effort are you going to have to put in to both acquire and unload? So uh, things to keep in mind when you're out there choosing which of these things you might go after. Right, right. And, you know, I think that you're correct that it's the, the lower prices have an appeal because you there's more room for them to grow, right? Like, that's why people like those cards is it doesn't matter that it's like the $70 card that could go to 100 but it really reliably only makes you 30 bucks. But the $20 card that could go to 100 is a lot more appealing because even though maybe it's fighting more of an uphill battle, obviously there's a ton more meat on that bone. So I get it. I get why people sort of care about that. You know what I mean? Yep, I'm with you. All right, so since we already kind of front-loaded our discussion uh, about reserve list buyouts and invocations, um, I guess that's a wrap for this week. Uh, sure, sounds good to me. Um, James, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. Okay, and I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for mtgprice.com. I do the Cartel Aristocrats on Mondays, and if you like playing Magic, check out scry.land, find Magic in your area. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. We've had uh, quite a lot of signups lately, actually, and I think uh, it's because some of you out there have realized that getting uh, slightly earlier access is probably going to make you uh, significantly more money than we're charging. Um, so I'm uh, happy that you guys are doing well. I'm happy that it's working out for you and uh, do feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, concerns, you want to run anything by us. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 81. I enjoyed our time together, James, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm -hmm.